Good morning. Do you take a seat? Uh, my name is Rob. If I haven't met you before, I'm a member of the congregation here at St. Joseph's. Uh, let me pray for us uh, before we look at God's word together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love to speak to us, your children. Thank you that you speak to us not to condemn, but to teach us and to train us and to offer us mercy and new life. So Lord, we ask this morning that you would help us by your spirit to listen to your word, to see the wonderful things that are contained within it, and to grasp the offer of eternal life that it holds out to us. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Let me ask you, have you ever been woefully underprepared for something? Um, have you ever gone out on a walk casually dressed in your trainers, uh, but found that Ben Pryke was next to you and you needed crampons and ropes? Uh, have you ever entered a marathon, uh, having only run less than 5k or perhaps to the end of your street? Um, have you ever visited Norway in February and then realised when you got there it might be quite cold and you have to wear all the clothes that you've brought with you in your suitcase? That might be just me. Have you ever gone to an interview or taken a test and as you sat down realised that you've prepared completely the wrong things? Uh, it's a subject of many nightmares and dreams, isn't it? Well, in his letter so far, Peter has been trying to prepare us for what's coming. Uh, not a job interview or a running race, uh, but the day of the Lord. The time when Jesus will return in judgment and when history will be wrapped up. In the first part of this final chapter, chapter 3, he's been pleading with us, pleading with us not to misunderstand God's patience as slowness, but rather as an opportunity to find God's mercy whilst there's still time. In this final section of the letter, Peter speaks specifically to those who do know that God is returning, to Christians, to believers, to who he calls beloved and he instructs them on how they should live now while they wait for Christ's return. We're going to see four instructions that Peter gives to us this morning while we wait. Firstly, to look forward. Secondly, to work hard. Thirdly, to take care. And fourthly and finally, to grow in grace. So let's start with the first of those. Christians, while they wait for Jesus' return, are to look forward. Uh, Peter begins this section of his letter in verse 11 uh, with the word since. What does that mean? Well, since the day of the Lord is coming. Since what Peter has laid out in verses 8 through 10 is true, given that this world will be consumed by fire, that one way it will be dissolved, it will be laid bare, what sort of people ought we to be in the meantime? This is the question that drives Peter. The first thing that he says is that we are to be people that look forward. Christians are to be forward-looking people, people who anticipate, who are, verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Or as the NIV translation puts it, who look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. But why would anyone want to look forward to God's judgment day? Why would anyone want to look forward to the destructions of the heavens and the earth by fire, the dissolving of all things, the taking apart of this world, as verse 11 puts it? 
Why would anyone want to speed that day's coming? Well, the answer is in verse 13. Verse 13 begins, But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. For those of us this morning who are trusting in Jesus as our saviour, the end is merely the beginning. For those who have placed their trust in Jesus and who are now waiting on and trusting in God's promises, the day of God is not a day of terror, but a day of joy. It's a day when all things will be made new. That's the sense of the word that is used here for a new heavens and a new earth in verse 13. Not as a replacement for this world, but rather as a total restoration of it. Just as Jesus' resurrection foreshadows the resurrection of our bodies, so this world will be made new. It will be made perfect. I don't know if you've ever watched one of those uh, housing programs uh, where they don't just change the furniture and uh, give the house a new lick of paint, but instead they start knocking down the walls, tearing off the old plaster, uh, stripping the house back to brick. Uh, They move the stairs. They always move the stairs. (laughs) They put the kitchen at the back, knock out some skylights. It's the same house, but it's not the same house. And you can see sometimes at the beginning the homeowners staring at a set of plans, not quite being able to imagine what it's going to be like, but hoping for something life-changing. There's even one now where they put you in these weird goggles in virtual reality to try and give you some sense of what it's going to be like. Well, our blueprints, our VR headset is... God's word. The place where God makes his promises to us about what the future is and what the future will look like. And that future is glorious. It's a future that is free from pain, free from sin, free from death, free from our selfishness, free from our imperfections, free for us to be who we truly were made to be. And Jesus puts flesh and bones on what that home of righteousness will look like. A place full of grace and truth, a place full of compassion and love, love that goes beyond death. This is, if we call ourselves Christians this morning, where we are going. This is our final and certain destination. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those um, countdown holiday clocks. I'm seeing them a lot at the minute on my social media. People counting the days down until their summer holidays. It can be quite annoying if you're not going on one. But for Christians, then, we're all going on a summer holiday. But not just a summer holiday that lasts a week or two weeks or, or even four, but one that lasts into eternity. And so the first thing that Peter tells us to do is to dwell on God's promises, to look forward, to joyfully anticipate the new heavens and the new earth which God has promised us. We can't move that date forward, but we can live impatiently for its coming. Someone put it like this, we can be homesick for a place that we've not yet been, but which is our true home. So that's the first thing Peter instructs us to do, to not take our eyes off the future which is promised to us in Jesus. But while we're looking forward, what are we meant to do now in the meantime, while we're not in that new heavens and new earth, in that home of righteousness, but here, living on this earth? 
Well, that's the second thing uh, that Peter instructs us to do. He says, while we're waiting for the day of the Lord, work hard. While we're waiting for the day of the Lord, what sort of things should we be doing? Or better, what sort of people ought we to be? While we wait, Christians are to work hard to be holy and godly in every part of their life. Uh, Look first with me at verse 11. Peter says, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Our lives are to be marked by holiness and godliness. Uh, In fact, those words are actually plural, so it's holinesses and godlinesses. You see, we're not just to be religious people, uh, people who come uh, on a Sunday morning to complete religious duties or who live according to certain rules. Rather, every area of our lives, our work, our homes, our friendships, our churches, our stages upon which God's transformation of us by his Holy Spirit are to be displayed. We are to work through what that means in each area and in each stage of our lives. That, though, takes work. Look at verse 14. Therefore, Peter writes, since you are waiting, looking forward for the new heavens and the new earth, be diligent, work hard to be found in him without spot or blemish, at peace. The language that Peter uses is from the Old Testament. We are to be like the sacrifices that God's people brought before God as a sin offering, without blemish. We are to be holy and godly, and we are to work hard in order to be like that. Now, let's be really clear here as we talk about working hard. We're not talking about working to earn our salvation. If we trust in Jesus, that has already been earned on the cross. We can't earn it. It's a gift of grace given to us in the Lord Jesus. Rather, we are, as Philippians 2 puts it, working out our salvation. We are pursuing holiness, not to earn God's affection, but in response to his love. So what does diligent, what does working hard on our holiness, on our godliness mean? Well, think of an elite athlete. How do they live? Well, they live with a very definite and specific goal in mind, Uh, whether that's a new season, an Olympic Games, a Tour de France. They focus their whole lives around that goal. And so uh, they go to bed early and they sleep in a tent with less oxygen in it. And they eat the right foods, maybe the same foods every day. And they sit in ice baths and they record every run they've ever ran. They move across the globe to live at altitude. They test their blood, they discipline, and they train their bodies. They work hard. We, though, are not looking forward to the Olympics. We are looking forward to something that is far greater than any Olympic Games, to a place of complete perfection where we will worship and enjoy God forever and where we will be who we were meant to be. Our job is to train hard now to get ready for that new reality, to put that goal, to put that reality front and center in our lives. I wonder what that would look like for you if being made godly and holy in every part of your life was your ultimate goal and you ordered everything else around that aim. Surely that would affect the big decisions that we make in life, 
the jobs that we take or the places that we live or the person that we marry. But it would also, affect, uh, also massively affect our day-to-day routines, wouldn't it? Uh, the content that we consume, our daily habits, our routines, the things that we spend our time, the things that we spend our money on. Uh, perhaps now as we enter uh, the summer holidays and those routines change and perhaps we have a little bit more time, that there is an opportunity for us to reflect, to ask ourselves, what is our life as it is now ordered around? And if we took an audit of it, if somebody else looked at it, what would they say is the true goal and the thing that we're driving at? Why not take an hour uh, this week uh, to sit down with a friend or a spouse uh, with a cup of coffee and ask each other if we were really training for heaven in every area of our life, what would be different? What would change? The third thing that we're told to do while we wait is to take care, specifically to take care not to be led astray by those who would twist God's word. Take care not to be led astray. Look at verse 17. Peter writes, You therefore, beloved, knowing this thing beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Forearmed is forewarned, according to Peter. Uh, The warning, this thing beforehand, uh, which Peter writes about in verse 17, uh, is in the verses immediately preceding that, in verses 15 and 16, where Peter warns us of those who would deliberately twist the scriptures. Uh, The word twist there is the same word that is used uh, to describe somebody being tortured on a rack, being bent deliberately out of shape. There will always be false teachers. Peter warned us uh, repeatedly about that throughout this letter. And Peter says that they are lawless. Literally, they are unrighteous. They are the opposite of those who are heading towards the home of righteousness. But they pose a danger to us. They may push us away from God's wisdom and cause us to become unstable in our faith. So while we wait for heaven, we're not to put our feet up, but rather we are to stand firm to be on guard for those who would deliberately distort God's word and his truth. And let's be clear, these people are not uh, simply misguided. Uh, Peter admits, doesn't he, in verse 16, that there are some parts of the Bible uh, that are difficult to understand, uh, particularly Paul's writings, apparently. But nevertheless, Peter says that they are true, that they come from the wisdom that God gave to Paul. Struggling with the passage of Scripture is not the same as distorting it. Uh, Peter here is touching upon something which theologians call uh, the perspicuity of Scripture. There's your new word for the day, uh, which you can uh, chat about over Sunday lunch. That is that God's word is clear in all essential matters that relate to salvation. Everything that you need to know about God, about who you are, about what it means to be a Christian, about how it is that we can have eternal life through Jesus. All of that is there for us and it is clear and it's understandable. It's straightforward enough for the simplest person to live by and yet at the same time it is deep enough for the highest intellects to wrestle with. Or as somebody once put it, God's word is shallow enough for a child to paddle in 
whilst being deep enough for an elephant to swim in. God's word is an ocean for us to swim in, to explore its depth. We'll never be finished doing that. And at the same time, it's a glass of cold water to hold to our lips when we are weak and fainting. However, as we consume God's word, as we wrestle with it, as we listen to it, as we take it as our guide and as a lamp to our feet, we must check those who teach us from scriptures, that those who speak to us about God's wisdom are speaking truly. How can we do that? Well, look at what Peter does say in verse 15. He says, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. Peter is saying two things here. Firstly, that Paul's writings are scripture. They come not from his own thinking, but from the wisdom that is given to him by God. But the second thing that he's saying is, look, what I'm writing to you now in this letter, it's nothing new. It's nothing original. God says the same thing in other parts of his word through the ministry of Paul. That's good practice for us to compare what we are hearing from somebody at the front, for example, here to God's word. And then especially if we're struggling with a difficult part of God's scripture, then go to another part that speaks about the same topic but is easy to understand. God's word is God's word. It's a library of books but with one author. And it's consistent. So we can use it to help us understand another part of it. By doing so, we guard against those people who Peter warns us of here who would twist God's word right out of shape and who would lead us away from God's wisdom. So as you come to church on a Sunday morning or as you rock up to midweek group or on a Wednesday night or come along on a Friday morning to the women's group, have your Bible open. Take a look. Is what's been said up here the same as what's written here? And outside of this context, be careful about who else you listen to, about the books that you read or the podcasts that you listen to. Test them against God's word to see if they're true and reliable. Don't be afraid to read God's word for yourself, to swim in its depths, to wrestle with those parts of scripture which are difficult to understand. But if you get lost, use the Bible to lead you home. So that's the third thing that Peter instructs us to do, uh, to take care that we're not led astray. Fourthly and finally, he says, while we wait, we're to look forward, work hard, take care, and finally, we are to grow in grace. Uh, Peter's uh, letter, the second uh, letter that he's written, begins uh, with these words in chapter 1, verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Jesus our Lord. And then right at the end of his letter, here in chapter 3, verse 18, it says this. But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Peter's consistent prayer and plea is that while we, write for, while we wait for Jesus' return, we would get to know him better and love him more now. And that by doing so, we would experience an abundance of grace and peace in our lives. That is our ultimate purpose in life. While we wait for the new heavens and the new earth to be revealed, to know Jesus better, to become more like him in godliness and holiness, and to enjoy him more fully. Uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism uh, puts it like this. 
What's the great goal of our life? We ask the question, what is the chief end of man? What is the point of life? Why are we living? It gives this answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Rather than being led astray by the unrighteous, by those who twist God's truth, we are to grow in grace by knowing more deeply, more truly, the righteous one, the one who is the way and the truth. Growing in grace, though, it's a strange phrase, isn't it, when you think about it? How do you grow in something that you're given, that you can't achieve? We can't earn grace, so how do you grow in it? How do you train for it? We talked earlier, didn't we, about um, elite athletes who do things consistently and repeatedly, extreme things sometimes to improve their performance. They eat the right things, they train consistently, they uh, employ the right coaches, they teach, they measure, and they test. One of the most, in factors, though, most important factors, though, which we didn't mention, is to sleep. Uh, sleep allows our bodies to recover, to repair, to grow. Uh, Eliud Kipchoge, who is uh, the world record holder in the marathon, uh, apparently sleeps nine hours a night and then naps in the day. Sounds great. <laughs> Why does he do that? He does that because he knows in order to perform, he needs to allow his body to recover. And as Christians, in order for us to grow in order for us to prepare ourselves for heaven. Yes, we need to work hard, but we also need to rest in Jesus. We need to allow him to work in our hearts by his spirit, to to transform us, to do the things that we aren't capable of. Or, Or think about it like this. Think of a plant, a plant that cannot grow without the sun's warmth. And so if you watch a plant over time, you'll see that it moves It inclines itself towards the sun to benefit from its warmth and in order to grow. We grow in grace. We receive an abundance of peace by inclining ourselves towards Jesus, by realizing that we are in him. We place ourselves in a position where we can receive and enjoy and be transformed by his grace, where we can learn from his righteousness, where we can be reminded again of his great love for us. That is what we are doing here this morning. Very simply, I don't have very much to offer you. There are a thousand better put together talks waiting for you now on YouTube. There are plenty of other places where you can sing along with a band, where you can chat over a cup of coffee with like-minded people. So why bother coming here on a Sunday? Why bother turning up on a, on a Wednesday night or a Friday morning or, or a Monday afternoon? Why read the scriptures that you've read a hundred times before? Why sing the songs that you know by heart and repeat the creed that you could do in your sleep? Because Jesus is here. It's that simple. The most precious thing in the universe walks off these pages. It's here by us by spirit this morning. And if you're a Christian, it's living inside of you by his spirit right now. He's taken up home, taken up residence in your heart. And if you'll let him, he will stay there and he will change you and he will grow and he will bring you home to that place of indescribable glory, the home of righteousness 
where we will get to be with him and enjoy him forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we pray the words from uh, that really simple children's hymn that we sing at Christian uh, at Christmas time, and we ask that you would be near us, Lord Jesus, and that you would stay close by us forever. That you bless us in your tender care, and that now, as we wait for the new heavens and the new earth to be revealed, that you would fit us for heaven to live with you there. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.